My very first memory of a president was actually President Jimmy Carter, a peanut farmer from Plains, Georgia. And I was so fascinated by him as a young kid. I actually had a piggy bank that was a giant peanut. And that's where I would store all the change that my grandmother would give to me each and every week when I would see her. And again, I don't know why I just had this, like, just fascination as just this little kid with Jimmy Carter. And then I remember 1980 in the second grade, my classroom teacher, she decided that she was going to teach us about politics and about the upcoming election. It was Jimmy Carter up for re-election against the former governor of California, Ronald Reagan. And so she's explaining, you know, what politics are and what the presidential election was going to be about and everything. And then we held a mock vote to see who was going to be the second grade, you know, uh, choice for president of the United States. And for whatever reason, I voted for Ronald Reagan. I don't even remember why I changed because, again, I had this, this like, immense fascination with Jimmy Carter, but I switched my vote to Ronald Reagan. But in any case, that set off then a lifelong just fascination that I've had with politics. I love the whole process of looking at various complex issues that face our nation and face the world, and then being able to talk about the different policies that could potentially solve that. And, you know, it's one of those things that for years and years and years and years, uh, people would, would talk about things and they would debate about it. But like many of you, I've gotten to the place where I'm sort of fed up with the whole thing. Because now, it, you know, it, it used to be, if you didn't agree about something, you just sort of agreed to disagree about it, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? It, there was a time when you would just agree to, to disagree. Today, though, oh my goodness, it has gotten so bad. And now it's basically, if you don't agree with my point, or I don't agree with you, your point, you know, you're wrong, you're immoral, you're a racist, you're homophobic, you want to be a socialist, you know, it's just all these various labels that get thrown out at people that you hate our country if you don't agree with my standpoint. And it used to be that we would talk with people about politics, but now we talk at people about politics. And again, just people are fed up with it, they're sick and tired of it, and they would do anything possible to escape it. In fact, that's what one woman did in 2016. This is for real. This was an obituary down in Richmond, Virginia. Take a look at this. They're on your screens. This is the obituary at the beginning. Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Marianne Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God on Sunday, May the 15th. <laughs> now, some of you are going, wait a second, is that still an option for this upcoming election? You know, I got nine days. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's so crazy how things are in our society right now. And, and this election especially is so toxic that's coming up. Because not only do we have the normal just political stuff that's going on, but then we're in the midst of a, a pandemic. And you've got all this stuff about COVID of do you wear a mask, do you don't wear a mask? Should we be reopening up the economy? Should we be shutting everything down? And so that's all become very political. And then we've had a lot of racial unrest in our country, you know, especially since the uh, George Floyd murder out in Minneapolis. And that's just gotten bad. And, and, you know, I think all of us would say that we want Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream that, that one day people wouldn't be judged by the, the, the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. All of us would agree that's the goal. But, man, just all these people online, and you see it on Facebook, you see it on all the, the various talk shows and stuff, just everybody has their opinion on exactly how would that take place. And so that's become a very political issue as well. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to start a brief little two-week series called The Politics 
of Jesus. And I'll be very clear right up front. This is not a series where I'm going to tell you how to vote. This is not a series where I'm going to give you some political talking points that you can start putting on Facebook or with your coworkers or whatever to, to sort of make a point to them. This isn't about giving you any little words or things that you're going to be able to demonize other people with. This is really about helping you to understand that there is a foundational thing as followers of Jesus that we can have in our lives that is so much stronger, so much better than any political power or political ideology that we could possibly have. And so this morning as we get this series started, I want to talk to you about the four most important elections that have happened in all of human history. Four elections, so, so important. The, the very first one took place in Israel in 1021 BC. So about a thousand years before the time of Jesus is when this very first election takes place. Now let me give you a little bit of context here. After Adam and Eve had sinned against God, God decides not to destroy them because he could have right then and there, right? He could have said, okay, that's it. I had this little experiment with these things called humans, and I'm just done with. But God doesn't do that. In his love and his grace and his mercy, he allows them to continue on, and they start to have offspring, and, and, and people just start to spread out throughout the, the known world. And what would happen is they would come together, and they would form little groups and tribes of people. Some of them would form cities of people, and then some of those cities would become nations. What happened, though, is that every single nation that formed didn't have God as a part of it. I mean, they had their little G.O.D.s who they thought was God, but the one true God, he wasn't a part of any of it. And so then God comes to a man one day by the name of Abraham, and he says, Abraham, through you and your descendants, I'm going to start a nation. And this is going to be a nation where I, the one true God, I will be your God and you will be my people. And what God's intention for this, this nation was that they would follow him and his commands, and they would do that gratefully because they knew that God always had their best interests at heart, that he always wanted the very best thing for them. And God's intention for this new nation, this new people, is that they would be a people that were marked by justice and compassion, that they would be a people who would live with security and freedom, that all the children of the society would be loved and accepted, that the entire culture would strive to have a beautiful country and a beautiful land that they lived in. And together, as a nation, they would observe a Sabbath day of rest, that one day out of every seven, they would say, all right, nobody's working. And the goal for that for the nation is that nobody in the nation would be a workaholic. And they would all tithe 10% of their income so that the community could do better. The nation would do better because they're given 10% back. And the goal there was that nobody in the nation would be just drawn into consumerism or materialism. That nobody would be saying, you know, what's in this for me? Or how can I get ahead and get more? In fact... The goal for the nation is that the people would live generously, that if they saw a need in their nation amongst their people, that they would say, we see a need, so we're going to meet a need. God's goal for this nation is that they would lovingly challenge each other to, to grow in love and devotion to one another and to God himself, that they would care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the sick, even the foreigners. Everybody would be loved. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would say, that sounds like the kind of nation I would like to be a part of? Those of you online, go ahead and put it in chat. Is that the type of nation you would want to be a part of or not? 
Yeah, right? All of us would want to be a part of a nation like that. So God forms this nation, and who knows what the nation's name was? What was the name of the nation? Israel, right? And this was God's plan for the nation. If you wanted to sum it up with just one little uh, Hebrew word, it would be the word shalom. And shalom means peace. Doesn't that sound like a peaceful nation? Peace amongst one another, amongst your fellow countrymen, peace with God, peace amongst the surrounding nations around you. That sounds really, really good. Here's the problem. Even as God established this nation of Israel, they couldn't even follow it. God gave them the shalom plan, the the peace plan, and they had problems following it. So what God did was he gave them prophets and priests to, to sort of lead them spiritually, to try to bring them back on the right track. He gave them what were called judges, which were military leaders and political leaders to help to lead them. They were always trying to to say, look, we need to make sure that God is the king that rules over us. It was supposed to be the peace plan, but they didn't have the peace plan. They had more of the plan that that we have here in the United States right now. We may call that another Hebrew word, Sheol, which is hell, right? Doesn't it seem like the country we live in right now is hell on earth? It doesn't seem like a great place to live. Now, now, let's not get it wrong, right? America's still the greatest nation in the world. But yet, we're not living in this great peace plan that God would have for, for all the nations of the world now. And so again, in, in the, the time of Israel, he gave them judges in order to, to sort of lead them. He gave them the prophets and the priests. And, and the reason that they had rejected it was the same reason that we oftentimes reject God's plan. Because they realized, look, If God is truly the leader, that means that God is the king of our land. And if God is the king, that means we've got to do what God wants us to do. And they're like, we want to do what we want to do. We don't want to do God's thing. We want to do our thing. And so the people eventually, and again, this is in 1021 BC, they come to one of the prophets. He was also one of the judges. His name was Samuel. And the people of the land of Israel, they make a request. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 to 7. They say to Samuel, we want a what? We want a, a king to be our leader, just like all the other nations. Samuel was upset to hear them say that they wanted a king, and so he prayed about it. The Lord answered Samuel, do everything they want you to do, for I am really the one that they have rejected as their king. You can hear the sadness in God's heart here. What God is saying is, Samuel, this isn't a decision about what form of government that they want for their nation. This is a decision about who it is that they want to rule their lives and their hearts. This is a spiritual decision. And you see, every time anybody, including us, every time people choose idolatry to to rule them or to put money at the center of their lives or to neglect the poor, the widow, the orphan, or the sick, every time that we decide to have our own guidelines for sexual morality or how to handle our anger or our pride or anything else that's not a part of God's shalom plan, what we're really saying is, God, we don't want you to be our king. And so God tells them, look, Samuel, give them what they want, 
Give them what they want. But warn them of this, that if they put their trust in a human king and in human political power, they're going to get what human political power always gets them. And so Samuel goes and he gives them this warning. He says, look, if you put a human king over you, here's what that king is going to do. He's going to send your sons off to war. Your daughters will be oppressed. And instead of giving 10%, now you're going to be taxed 20%, 30%, 40%, or even more. And so you can do whatever you want, but that's the choice that you have. And Samuel goes on and he warns him. He says, if you go with a human king, a day is going to come when you're going to deeply, deeply regret the decision that you've made. Now, by the way, this little warning from Samuel was so radical that in the years 500 A.D. to 1500 A.D., which is called the Middle Ages, in Europe, because they were being ruled by kings, there in Europe, pastors were actually banned from actually preaching on this passage. Because the kings were like, wait, if you preach on that, the people are going to revolt against you know, us as, as the king. And so Samuel gives this very, very strong warning to the people of what's going to happen if you choose a human king. And that's when this first ever major election takes place. If you're taking notes, election number one was Israel's decision of whether God or a human would be their king. Only two names were on the ballot. Only two names. God or a human king. Who do you want? And I can imagine what God's stump speech was. He's like, hey guys, don't forget how good I've been to you. In fact, don't forget I'm the ones who actually created you. I, I created all of you. I gave you everything. And don't forget that I was the one that came and I, I didn't destroy Adam and Eve. I actually gave them grace and mercy in the same way I'm giving you grace and mercy. And God says, don't forget that I came to your ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, and I promised them a, a land that would flow with milk and honey. And don't forget that when your ancestors eventually ended up in slavery in Egypt, and I am the one that came and I set them free. Don't forget that I'm the one that came and I parted the Red Sea so that they could walk across on dry land. Don't forget that I'm the one that fed your ancestors manna out in the desert and provided for them. Don't forget that I'm the one that I came and I gave you my commands that are for the best of you. I want what's best for you, and so I gave you some commands to follow. Don't forget that I'm the one that when you went into the promised land and everybody looked like giants in your eyes, that I'm the one that fell those walls there in Jericho. And God goes on and on and on and on. He's like, surely that's a great speech. I mean, surely the people will choose me over a human king. God's campaign slogan was, I'll never leave you and I'll never ever forsake you. But look at 1 Samuel 8, 19. When election day arrives, we read this, the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. God says, all right, if that's what you want, then that's what you get. Well, an interesting little side note, that's how God acts with us as well. God does not force himself onto you. God always allows you to have it your way. Whatever you want, it's like Burger King. Have it your way. If you want that sinful attitude, if, if you want that sinful action, 
God says, all right, go ahead. If you want to stay in that toxic relationship you're in, God says, okay, you can do it. If you want to continue with that very sinful behavior, God's like, you can do it. I'll let you learn the hard way that I always know what is best. And so that's what he does here for the nation of Israel. He says, if you want a king, okay, but you're going to regret it. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Israel's given a king. And some of the kings that they had through the years, they were okay. Most of them were just a hot mess, though. It was really, really bad there in Israel for many, 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 many years. Centuries, in fact. And that's what happens. Anytime you give humans immense political power, power will always lead to corruption. And what we need to understand is human beings can never bring about the transformation in the hearts of people and in communities like God can. Only God can do that. And even for us, you know, none of us here are politicians, but even for us, we oftentimes mess this up and we get a misguided thinking. We start to think things like this. Well, if my party that I vote for were just in power, then we could get things the way we want it to be. Then we could pass all the laws that we want. Then we'll be able to have the political power that allow us to control the army and the police and the appointment of judges. And we'll just get it the way we want it. But listen, if you think political power is the ultimate solution to the problems of this world, then you have missed the gospel message of Jesus. You have missed what the Bible is really talking about here. The teachings of Scripture is that it's not about this world and what we can do right here and right now. And so, so back to the story here. For years, Israel suffers under the leadership of many, many different kings. And eventually, there's a civil war. Because like in our society, how people are warring against each other, that's what happens in their society. There's a civil war, and they actually divide into two nations then. Now they're ruled by multiple kings. You think having one president is bad enough. Imagine having multiple presidents and what that would do. And so they have these multiple kings that are going on and things keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and ultimately surrounding nations come in and they start to conquer Israel and Judah and then what happens is they're carried off in exile to other nations as slaves now eventually they do get to come back however from that point on they were always under the rule of other nations they didn't even have control of their own nation anymore they are under the rule of the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Romans. And so sure enough, just as Samuel had warned them, they regretted that decision that they had made. Remember Samuel said, look, you can have a king if you want. You can make it all about having a, a human being, having political power, but you're going to regret that. You're going to regret it. And sure enough, they got to that day where indeed they regretted it. Now, all the while behind the scenes, the prophets had continued for all the centuries to say, look, 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 it's not too late. Turn back to God. Repent. Get back to his plan, that shalom plan, that peace plan. You can do it. But they wouldn't do it. And they just kept getting themselves into a deeper and deeper and deeper mess. And then one day, a prophet by the name of Isaiah comes along. And he starts to prophesy that one day a king is coming who will be unlike any other king. And this king will solve 
all of our problems. Look what Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. A child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. The Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. And Isaiah continues on then, and he talks about how with this new king, his kingdom is a kingdom that will never, ever end. And so for years and years and years, the nation of Israel held on to this hope that one day a Messiah, a Savior, a king would come who would get us out of this mess that we've gotten ourselves into. And sure enough, one day about 2,000 years ago now, a little baby born, was born. His name is Jesus. And Jesus came and he said, I'm bringing a, a new kind of kingdom, a, a new form of government, so to speak. And he says, this is unlike anything that people have ever experienced. Jesus' campaign slogan is that the kingdom of God is, is now at hand. The kingdom of God is near. It is here. And Jesus says that, look, through me, God is offering you to be the king once again. And if you think about it, Jesus runs a campaign unlike any other politician has ever run. He has no real political connections. He has nobody to endorse him except for his crazy cousin. I mean, John the Baptist was like weird. That's the only guy that's like saying, hey, follow this guy. And so Jesus doesn't have any of those things. He doesn't have any like campaign funds. He doesn't have like a super PAC of any sort. In fact, the little bit of money that Jesus has, he's giving it all away. Jesus has no army. He has no soldiers. He has no palace to live in. When it came to his political enemies, Jesus is forgiving them. He's not like slinging mud and trying to make them look bad. He's just, he's forgiving these people. When it came to the polling, he doesn't claim to be ahead. In fact, he declares, I'm going to lose. He says, I must go into Jerusalem. I must go into the capital and suffer many, uh, uh, suffer many things at the hands of my political opponents. In fact, I must go and die at their hands. Now, Peter, who was sort of Jesus' campaign manager, <laughs> he like calls in the CNN. He's going, uh, fake news, fake news. What Jesus really meant to say was that... Um, you know, we're all going to die eventually, and you just need to, like, live your best life now. Uh, that, that's not, and, like, Jesus calls in. He's like, uh, Anderson Cooper, uh, no, uh, that's not what I said. I actually, when I said I was going to die, I, I really meant I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Because in my death, I'll be able to accomplish something I can never do in my life. And so Jesus is running this, like, really weird campaign and you would think that if somebody was campaigning like that and they were saying, I'm going to lose, that his political opponents, they would not be intimidated by that. They wouldn't feel threatened by that in any way. But yet all the religious leaders, all the, the spiritual leaders, all the military leaders, all the people that had political power, they were all immensely threatened by these words of Jesus. And so a very powerful Roman man by the name of Pilate, he calls in Jesus before him and he says, look, let me ask you a question. Are you the king of the Jews? 
Now, this was a loaded, loaded question. Because remember, Israel was under the, the rule of the Roman Empire. And even though Israel still had kings at that point, they were kings that had been appointed by the Romans. They weren't even allowed to choose their own king anymore. They were told, here's who your king will be. And so if you remember when Jesus was born, the king was Herod. Again, somebody that the Romans had appointed because they knew that they could work in cahoots with him. If you remember Herod, he was crazy too. He was like killing all of his like wives and his sons and like just he was off his rocker. And so when he dies, the Romans go, yeah, we're not like giving them another king. Because all of his sons, like the three remaining sons that were still alive, they all said, hey, I, I want to be the king of the Jews now. And Rome's like, mm, no, we don't think so. After we're your father, no, we're, we're good. Uh, we'll, we'll give you guys like different territories. So they were called tetriarchs. And so they were ruling these different parts. And so basically Herod's coming to Jesus and he's going, who do you think you are? The king of the Jews? Because we haven't conferred that on anybody. But yet all these people are threatened by you and, and, and you keep talking about this kingdom that's coming and, and that, that, that you're the, the king over it. And who, who do you think you are? Who's given you this political power? But Jesus makes a statement which I believe actually says more about the separation of church and state than any other statement that has ever been made. Here's what Jesus says in John 18, 36. Jesus answered Pilate and said, my kingdom is not a what? My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says, look, if my kingdom were about right here and right now, I'd recruit some soldiers. I'd raise up an army. I'd get a bunch of swords. I'd go out and buy some chariots. And they would do everything possible to fight my upcoming arrest. But he says, my kingdom isn't of this world. And so we're not going to fight in the way that the world fights. My kingdom's from another place. This was sort of shocking to Pilate. And this whole story, by the way, it's, it's taking place during the time of the, the Passover week. And if you don't remember what Passover is, basically Passover was to the Jews what the 4th of July is to us as Americans. This was like their, their like great celebration of their country and the founding of it and how it all had gotten started. And so they're like remembering all that God had done, that, that the, the angel of death had passed over and they were given freedom from slavery in Egypt. And that's what set them on the path to becoming their own nation. And so they're celebrating all that. And the Romans had this custom that what they would do in the, the nations that they had conquered is um, they would occasionally like sort of throw a bone to the, the countrymen there to try to show them that, look, Caesar isn't so bad. We Romans, we're actually nice people. You know, you should be happy that we're ruling over you. And so in the case of the, the nation of Israel, what they would do is during the Passover feast and festival, they would actually say, look, we have all these political people that we've arrested that have been trying to rise up against us. And so we will release one of them to you. Again, we're not so bad. And so Pilate's like, okay, I don't have any reason to charge Jesus with anything here. 
Because he's not saying that I'm fighting against the Roman Empire. He's saying his kingdom's from another world. I don't even know what that means, but it's, it's from another world. And so I can just sort of let him go. But he's like, you know what? Maybe I can kill two birds with one stone here. Maybe I can, like, do this whole release of a prisoner type thing at the same time. And so Pilate comes to him and he says, look, do you want me to release to you this Jesus guy? Or do you want me to release to you Barabbas? Now, Barabbas had been arrested by the Romans because he was an insurrectionist, meaning he was trying to fight against the Roman Empire. He was actually killing people on behalf of the Jews. He was like, you know, follow me, and and we're going to overtake all the Romans, and we're going to get rid of Caesar, and we're going to come back, and our nation will be the way that it's been before, you know. We're going to make Israel great again. You know, maybe that was what his campaign slogan was. I don't know. But anyway, he's going out, and he's, he's, he's like, He's like killing the Romans, and finally the Romans arrest him. They put him in jail. And so this is when the second most important election in all of human history takes place, and that's this. If you're taking notes, election number two, would the Jews choose for the release of Jesus or Barabbas? Now Jesus is wondering, will the people remember me and what I've done for them? Well, they remember that I lived amongst them as a, as a carpenter, and I did that for many, many years. Well, they remember my words like to turn the other cheek and that blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, they remember that I took their children in my arms and I blessed them. Well, they remember all the, the love and the grace and the mercy and the compassion that I showed to anybody and everybody. It didn't matter who people are, what they've done. I was always showing love. In other words, once again, God's name was on the ballot. And what would the people choose? Jesus, God. Or would they make the same mistake that they had made many, many thousands of years or a thousand years before that? And that is that they were going to choose a human being with political power to try to lead them. Were they going to choose Barabbas to help them to fight against the governmental structures that have been set up? And when the votes are all counted, Barabbas wins by a landslide. Basically, the people are saying, we don't want Jesus. We don't want that kind of king. We don't want the type of kingdom that he is offering us. We want someone who will come in and slaughter our political opponents. All of our political enemies, we want them gone, so we're going to follow Barabbas instead of following Jesus. We just want our old country back. Now, Pilate's surprised by the decision that they make. And he isn't still sure what he's supposed to do with Jesus, so he decides, well, I'll ask the crowd, well, what do you want me to do with him? And the crowd shouts out, crucify him, crucify him, and it just gets louder and louder and louder and louder, and there is no reason to crucify Jesus, but yet that's exactly what happens. And many, many years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Apostle Paul, he's reflecting back on exactly what it was that Jesus had done through that whole process of willingly giving up his life and his body. And here's what Paul writes. This is a great reminder to us about what true political leadership should look like. In Philippians 2, 5 to 8, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, in other words, in your interactions on Facebook about politics or anything, in your relationships with one another, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, 
He did not think of equality with God as something to grasp. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, I want you to think about this. What president or king or ruler or politician has ever acted like this? Where they said, it's not about me and I'm going to sacrifice myself. It's not about what I want politically. I'm going to give up everything so that others may get ahead. You see, Jesus, by choice, he made himself as low as he could go. If all the other kings and rulers are way up here, Jesus voluntarily said, I'm going to be way down here. I'm going to put myself at the very lowest position I can possibly be because it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about the good of all people, of all humanity. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven. And this is when the third election takes place. Election number three is, who would God choose to be given the highest seat of honor? In the two previous elections I've talked about, it was God's name who was on the ballot. This time, it was God who had the only vote. And this vote was, who is going to be given the very highest honor, the seat of honor? And Paul continues on then in Philippians 2, verses 9 and 11, and he gives the answer. He says, therefore, in other words, after all that Jesus had done to make himself low and give himself up on the cross, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus went so low that God the Father said, you know what, I'm going to give him the highest seat possible. And every single politician, every single king, every single Caesar, every single ruler, every single U.S. president, every single U.S. vice president, every single one of them one day will bow at the feet of Jesus. And guess what? You will too. And every single one of us, every person that's ever lived, whether they believed in Jesus or not, will one day confess that he is the Lord of all things, that he is the king who is above every other king. And that's why there's a fourth election that takes place, and that is the election that takes place in my heart. Will I choose Jesus or will I choose myself? Once again, God's name is on the ballot, but this time, his opponent is you. Who are you going to choose? Jesus as king or you as the king? Is it going to be allowing him to show you the ways that are going to be best for you? Or is it going to be you saying, no, I know better than what you know, God? God is saying, look, if you want things to, to be done your way, if you want it to be about your will, if you want it to be all about your ego, of getting all the power and the pleasure and the safety and the security that you can, then go ahead and vote for you. God says, if you want to be the king of your life, there's a little warning that comes with it. That's the path that one day leads to hell. 
But Jesus says, if you'll choose me, if you'll choose the shalom plan, that peace plan, you'll have peace not just in this life, but in the life to come as well. You'll be a part of a, a kingdom that will never, ever end. You know, some of you think that the most important election in all of human history is about to take place next Tuesday, but it's not. The most important election ever is taking place right here and right now. Whether you're here live with us, whether you're watching online with us uh, live, or if you're watching this on delay, right now, whenever you're hearing these words, the most important election ever is taking place. Who is the king of your heart? Is it Jesus or is it you? For some of you, you've never made that decision before. You, you didn't even know that it was a decision. And Scripture tells us this, that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be the leader of my life. Be the king of my heart. Forgive me of all the wrong I've done in the past and help me now in the future to do things your way because I trust that your way is the best. For others of you here today, you've made that decision before to ask for his forgiveness and his leadership. Here's the problem. Every single day, our human sinful nature says, I'm trying to climb back up on that throne. And so the decision you need to make today is this, to once and for all settle it in your heart. Who is the king of your life? Who is the king of your heart? To crucify that old sinful nature once and for all. I'll close with this. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua writes, Choose this day whom you will serve. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for your word and just how relevant it is still to our day and time in our society. But Lord, so many of us are caught up in and what's going to happen nine days from now in this U.S. presidential election? We're so wrapped up that, you know, unless my candidate wins, and this is going to be the end of the, the country, but, Lord, that's not what it's about. This is not our world. This is not our home. We live for a different kingdom. We live for your kingdom. And so, Lord, help us just to Settle in our hearts once and for all that you are the king over all. The Lord, no matter who gets elected next week, that you are still in control. That no matter who gets elected, that we're still to pray for that person. Because yes, temporarily our lives do still get impacted. Lord, that's not what it's all about. So help us not to live for the temporal things. Help us to live for the eternal things. Help us to, to try to bring up there down here that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on the earth just as it is in heaven. That we would bring your shalom. We would bring your peace here to our nation and to our world. But our weapons aren't the weapons of the world. Our, our weapons aren't political ads and Facebook posts. No, what are we to bring? Well, we're to bring what you did, Jesus. We're to humble ourselves and to lay our lives down and bring love and grace and mercy and compassion to every single person that we come in contact with. That we're to care for all people and show them your love. And in the midst of that, that's where real transformation in communities takes place. Not because we elected a politician, 
but because people see the love of Jesus in his followers. And that just virally just goes out and transforms communities. So Lord, help us to have a peace of heart ourselves and not get so wrapped up in everything that's going on, but just concentrate on you. And Jesus, are you the king of my life or not? And then just be obedient to what it is that you'd have us to do. To choose you, not human political power. Jesus, help us all to do that and together to go out and make a difference here in Harrisburg, in our state, in our nation, and ultimately the world. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.